the first few weeks. This is part five today. I was doing chapter one, doing part five. If you missed the first few weeks, I would encourage you to go ahead and just do that. If you want to know anything about Colossians, we're doing a detailed studies on Colossians, line by line, precept by precept. So today, we're going to start with, the, uh, with a verse 15. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the supremacy of Jesus and the supremacy of his grace and what it means to you. Some of you say, oh, I know already, but you'll be surprised. Now, if you disagree with what I say, you can throw a stone at me, but you're still my brother. This is not going to affect your salvation or my salvation. So turn to the neighbor and say, Pastor Paul loves you. Don't be mad at him. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, it's going to be some heavy-duty stuff. Verse 15, let's read it. He, that will be Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things. Everybody say all things. All things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Look up here. Now, you know, when I was growing up uh, as, a, as a Pentecostal, you know, growing up as a Pentecostal, the teaching back then was that, you know, the Father created everything. Yes? So, and in fact, Adam and Eve was created by the Father because Jesus wasn't on the scene yet. And so we thought, okay, the Father created Adam and Eve and the earth that we know of today. But you do not realize that it was not the Father that created all things. It was who? What does it say here in Colossians? Who created all things? Come on, talk to me. Do you know that it was Jesus that created Adam and Eve and all things? We just assume it was the Father. I'll tell you it's not the Father because Jesus himself said what? Nobody has seen God, the Father. If he say nobody, does it mean nobody? Can you talk to me? Yes, it means nobody. Which means Adam and Eve, they wouldn't have seen the Father. So in the cool of the day in Garden of Eden, who was it that walking with Adam and Eve? Come on, talk to me. Now he may not come, he was not in the form of a man called Jesus, but it is that person of the Son who had created all things on earth. And, watch this, in heaven... If you don't believe me, let's go back here because I see that some theologians shaking their heads like, what, what is he talking about, right? Let's go back to verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, in heaven and on earth. Wow. Do you realize that all that was shown about the the all that was shown about God speaking and communicating to people in the Old Testament was actually Jesus, including him, even the Ten Commandments on the Mount? 
See, Jesus has been active. But most people assume it was the Father. They assume that. But if you were to believe the word of Jesus, he said, nobody has seen the Father. Not one person. Either Jesus was lying or our assumption is incorrect. Now, how many believe that Jesus does not lie? <laughs> Jesus doesn't lie. So Jesus, his supremacy is huge. You know, there are other religions say, oh, I believe Jesus is God, but he is kind of like below the Father. Yeah, Jesus is there, but you know, it is not really, he's not really the God, he's just the Son. He is God. He is just another manifestation of God, if you, if you may. He is not just somebody that is subverting him to God. Now watch this. People say, you know, do you remember, and I quote it all the time, that Jesus said that I will only do what the Father says, and I will do what, only what I hear the Father does or says. Do you remember that? His full obedience. He said, what about that? Doesn't it sound like he is subservient to the Father? When Jesus came to planet Earth, he came as human being to model to us and demonstrate to you and I how we as human beings can live like him. He lived throughout the 33 and a half years on this earth to model to us or to demonstrate to us how as human beings we can live like a divine being. God made himself like human so human can live like the divine. By following what a human supposed to do to become divine. That is following him. You want to live in divinity. You want to live like children of God, sons and daughters of God. You follow what Jesus had modeled for you. He didn't have to do that. He did it just for you. Just think about this, right? You know, in all our storybooks, in the, uh, you know, you, you read the storybooks, people say, you know, oh, the evil and the good, they are fighting constantly. There is a balance of evil and good that's fighting as though the power of God is equal to the power of the devil. And they duke it out and finally Jesus won. And, it's, and, and then it's like, whew, thank God he won. That's, that's such nonsense. Jesus didn't have to fight the devil, God didn't have to fight the devil. The devil was created by him. The devil is absolutely under him. The devil could not possibly overcome him. There was never any doubt that he could lose. It's like you having a fight with an end and you lose. It's ridiculous. And the reason it seems that it was such a struggle is that God is struggling. Is that God is struggling for you so that he can win for you. So that you can live in victory and that he can have all the victory for you. And that he can claim all the righteousness for you. Everything he did was to do it for you. Not for himself. So that you can be a victor. You can walk like him. You can cast out demons. You can raise the dead. You can heal the sick. You can see miracles, multiply food, doing everything. What he did was for you. It was amazing miracle. We're like, oh, that's amazing. But he did it to model it so that you can learn how to live like God. 
But he didn't have to struggle with sin. He didn't have to fight the devil. He didn't have to struggle with temptation. The word of God says that he put himself through that so that he can understand what you and I are going through. That he is not high priest that does not have any sympathy or understand our plight and pain. That's the only reason why he did it. Apart from that, he is God. He is God and supreme. So if anybody ever told you that, oh, Jesus is just like, you know, he's just a prophet. He's just, he just, no, he's not. He is supreme. He's not one of the many other gods either. You know, in Hinduism, they believe that Jesus is God. Except he's one of the few hundred thousand gods that they worship. So that's why they'll tell you, I believe, I believe. Of course they do, because they believe Jesus is one of the 100,000 gods. But the word of God tells us that there's only one supreme being, and he is Jesus. So quiet. Now let's move on. He's, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together they are all in order it's because of Jesus he's holding everything together have you ever tried to hold things together you know especially if you're a mom and dad trying to hold the family together you know trying to... my mother-in-law when, he was, when she was alive she's trying to hold the family together always make sure that all her brothers and all her sisters always come to to the family reunion together with all her children you know that's big one party you know after she passed away there's no such thing everybody go on with their own life right but the mother tried to hold everything together we we try to hold things together individually as a person and you know pastor as a pastor like me you know we're trying to figure out how to hold things together in this COVID-19, you know, holding together. But you know, Jesus was telling me, he just let it go, man, just flow. I am the one who holds all things together. You can try as you may, try to make it right, hold things together. And you worry yourself sick and get all anxious and all worried. And the Father is telling you that Jesus, he is all in all, he's holding all things together. So just let it go. Just let it go. Jesus is holding everything together. Don't worry about it. Not a thing. What about my son? You know, Jesus is holding it together. What about my, my, my wife, my husband? What about, what about my grandchildren? You can worry sick until you, the day that you pass from this life. You can never hold everything together. It is God. It is Jesus who holds all things, including your things together that's the good news that's amazing now let's now because he's so great right in verse 18 he's the head of the body the church he's the beginning the firstborn of the dead in that in everything he might be preeminent we all heard that for in him the fullness of god was pleased to dwell everybody say fullness what does fullness sound to you 50 percent 90 percent 100% 100% complete the fullness you can't get more God than Jesus are you here you can't get more God than Jesus 
So if the fullness of God dwells, the fullness of God dwells. Don't debate with the Bible. Don't say, yeah, but, you know, the fullness of God dwells. So if anybody ever come to you and say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I don't think he's like the top guy. He's the father, he's the top guy. Then you need to show them the scripture. He created all things. All things are held together by him. And you sit there and go, where's the father? Well, that's another topic to discuss. But it doesn't make Jesus subservient to the father. He did it on earth to demonstrate to you how you ought to live. Are you here this morning? All right, so quiet. Okay, verse 20. I'm going to show you the grace of God. Okay. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Wow, all things again. All things. Whether on earth, we know that, but interestingly, he also said in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Watch this. You and I have come to believe, and it is true, that Jesus Christ came to the earth and he died for your sin and my sin so that we can be reconciled to him, right? And the reason we believe that is because the Bible tells us that. And the reason we only think about that is because human being, you and I are very human focused. We are very human centric. We think about ourselves, we look at ourselves, we look at everything from a human perspective. But I want to expand your mind this morning beyond your human self. Do you realize that Jesus came and died on the cross, he shed his blood to reconcile not only you and I on planet earth, but the galaxy and the stars of whatever that is out there, and on top of that, in heaven. His grace extends from you all the way to eternity. You say, why do you need the grace of God in heaven? Isn't heaven holy? I want to show you something. Hebrew chapter 9. Go to Hebrew chapter 9, verse 19. There's a purpose why I say all this, right? Okay, just, just wait up there, okay? Hebrew chapter 9, verse 19, 23. See, a lot of people think that Christian, we are so narrow-minded. All we think about is just earth, planet. You know, look at the scientists. They talk about the stars, the skies. You know, one of the things I like to watch in terms of show is space show. Like they travel to different corner of the galaxy you know so interesting right ideas that human comes up with just that humans come up with is just so fascinating i just love watching it. i just love the imagination that human had humans have but you know this th- there are people that are not christian that are more open-minded than christian ever be because we are so narrow focused and we think about only our existence and we think don't think about anything else but i want to expand your mind i want to show you when the grace of God is active, it is active not just on you or on this planet, but it's active throughout the universe and even to heavens. And you say heaven doesn't need the blood of Jesus, the grace of God. Well, I beg to differ. Look at this. For when every commandment. So Paul, now uh, the writer of Hebrew is talking about comparing the tabernacles of the Old Testament. If I'm too deep for you, just just you can go and take a nap. But you know, just but but I need to go go to this right. The, so the, the, he's talking about the comparing the tabernacle of 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 Moses to heaven, not just the tabernacle in heaven, but to heaven.
Okay, watch this, right? Because we make a lot of assumptions. We're thinking that when the Bible says a copy, we're going to read about it, a copy of the tabernacle, we, we think about there's another tabernacle. In fact, you read some of the uh, Bible teaching, you know, they talk about tabernacle in heaven and so forth, right? It may be so, but for, in this context, watch this. For every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people. He took the blood of cows and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people why because he needs to purify them sanctify them right verse 20 saying this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you now he didn't only do that this is what he did in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent right the tent of Moses and all the vessels you know the the all the tools that they used to worship you know uh, uh, the, 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 the the bread the, the, the cobs the the, the um, the lampstand, all of those, all those things that's in the temple, he would sprinkle. In fact, he would sprinkle even on the curtain of the holy of holies, and then they would rub um, blood on the altar, right? And uh, so, so if you read the Old Testament, you see how it was done, right? And indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with the blood. Now we agree with that so far, but what very interesting is the next statement. Right? And without shedding of the blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with their better sacrifices than these. I'll read it again, okay? I don't know if you get it. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things, that would be the tabernacle of Moses and all the worship uh, things, all the instruments. They are copies. They're not the real thing. The real thing is just in heaven, the heavenly things. They are copies of the heavenly things that need to be purified by the blood. That's why the priest will go and purify the blood. Uh, Purify using uh, the blood of calf and, 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 and goats and so forth just to purify the earthly tabernacle but what interesting is that he also said but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these what is he talking about he's talking about the the blood of the bull the blood of the calf and the and the gold they were good enough for the earthly tabernacle but for the heavenly tabernacle, the earthly blood is not good enough. And therefore, they need better sacrifice. What he's referring to, of course, is the sacrifice of Jesus. Watch this. Why does heaven need the sacrifice of Jesus? I thought heaven is all perfect and holy. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That's why I said earlier on, the grace of God far extends beyond this human existence. It goes all the way to heaven. People ask this question, I thought everything is holy and perfect. Well, guess what? Even in heaven, the blood of Jesus is required. People may ask why. I don't know. I, I cannot, I mean, this is, this is like another an hour and a half of discussion but needless to say it's required so if it's required that tells me that the grace of God 
does not only extend to you and your existence, it extends far beyond that. If that is the case, why then do we stop people from receiving His grace if we deem that they are more sinful than us? And that's the problem with religious thinking. There was a brother in this church. I'll tell you, he got pulled in up from a miry clay. Totally, just, just in sin. He was, it was in sin. God pulled him up. In fact, he was so ashamed, he nearly killed himself. And God pulled him up. And then he, you know, he, he started walking, you know, God filled with his Holy Spirit. He walked in life that just, just and, then, and then he stumbled. And then one day he was sitting in my office, told me that he just committed adultery with another member in this church. You know, if I didn't know anything better, I would have just kicked him out of the church, right? But I understood the grace of God. I know that this is not a religious environment. This is a place where the grace of God can actually thrive. Some people say, well, pastor, don't say that you're going to tell people their sin. There will be consequences of sin. And he's, he's suffering through those consequences physically but that's his issues right but as far as his spirit is concerned God's grace is on him and he's forgiven so I sat with him I said okay this is what's going to happen you know this is the consequences you have to face but as far as God is concerned you are cleansed right now he looked at me he couldn't believe his ears he thought I would kick him out excommunicate him you know the things right I just said don't do it again man come on right and you're hurting yourself you're hurting a sister so but interestingly enough, a few years later, after he was in this church a few years later, he became very legalistic because now he thinks he's living a holy life. And that he is rejecting every grace message that I preach here. As though he needed it, but nobody else can have it. And that's what most religious people think. Because if you don't observe the law they tell you to observe, you are not good enough. As though they become righteous through their own works and totally forgot that they were under the grace of God to be where they at. The grace of God should be far more reaching than just to you and at the level of your sinfulness. There are people that you don't think deserve the grace of God. I want you to encourage you today to change your thinking because everyone can receive the grace of God from here to the ends of eternity. Not even the ends of the earth. It's the ends of eternity. That's how vast the grace of God is. And our faith is not just about this planet earth. According to this, our faith in the grace of God reaches all the way to first heaven, second heaven, and third heaven. You say, what is that? Well, Paul the Apostle talks about third heavens, right? So if you understand the New Testament language, theologian, they talk about, you know, they're trying to understand the language in the, in the New Testament is that when they talk about first heaven, they usually talk about the sky that you see. That's first heaven. The second heaven is really the entire physical universe existence which the devil has been cast to. And of course, the third heaven is where the throne room of God is. Right? So in other words, the Bible tells us that the grace of God reaches the earth, first, second, and third heaven. That's how far reaching the grace of God is. Who are you then to stop people from receiving His grace just because you disagree or you don't think they deserve to deserve the grace of God? Amen. Come on! So I stand here by the grace of God. You sit there by the grace of God. We are who we are because of the grace of God. You know, I, uh, I used to, when I was younger, when Kenneth Hagin was alive, I used to listen to him a lot. 
I noticed that when he was younger, he was preaching a lot about faith, healing, miracle, and so forth, right? And so I'm, I'm just, I'm into that totally. And then I recall that when he was older, uh, preaching some of the older sermons, some of them were not published because somehow the grace of God, I got a lot of the recordings that was not published. And there was thousands of hours of recording that they didn't publish for, for whatever reason. And uh, so you could still hear, you know, people talking. They haven't really edited it. So it's all raw tape. And, and uh, so I, I, I got a hold of that. I still have them. And, and if you want them, I'll sell it to you for a million dollars. But praise God, you know. But I, I listen, but I remember, I'm just joking. Um, so I, I remember, uh, listening to him when he was older. And he began to focus his attention on the message of grace. Most people didn't know that. I remember one time he was talking about he was discovering this, this in revelation on grace. Because most of us think grace is just, oh, the grace of God, forgive my sin. And, and some other denomination use the grace of God as about uh, uh, the grace of God as kind of, some kind of strength to help you. You know, I need the grace of God to play piano. I need the grace of, you know, they use the grace of God in a different manner. It doesn't mean it's wrong, it's right, but it's far reaching. So when he was talking about grace, he said he discovered grace so much so that he couldn't believe his eyes. He said that grace he discovered was so much more superior than any of the faith thing that he discovered. He said one time he was so overwhelmed and overcame by the discovery. He was so excited. He forgot that he had left his office and ran all over the place to the middle of the road. Standing in the middle of the road. That was how excited he was. And he realized that he was not even in his office anymore. He's in the middle of the road. He discovered grace. And when I heard that, I go, what, what, what's so big deal about grace? Because I did not understand I pray that God will cause you and I to begin a journey to investigate and research and know more about His grace. The more grace you know, the better you're going to live. It's not the more law you know, the more rules you know, the more regulations you know, the better you're going to live for God. That's religion. It's the more grace of God you know the more you will thrive. I have struggled with sin in my life. And I tried rules. I tried cold turkey. I tried discipline. None of them work. Yes, I do have spiritual discipline. That's another topic. But to come to the place of holiness, the only thing that worked, that allowed me to have victory over sin, is grace. Just grace. Now, Verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Not by your deeds, not by your giving, not by you following whatever, but by his death in order to present you just holy enough, just blameless enough, and just beyond reproach enough before you. That's true. Come on, talk to me. No. He has sacrificed so that you are holy. Turn to your neighbor and say, I am holy. And some of you are not too sure. I don't know. Well, I'm telling you, According to what Jesus has done, you are holy. Your spirit is perfect. Now your body is out of whack. Your mind could be all whatever. 
but your spirit is holy. You are holy, blameless, and beyond reproach before him. So everything else that you're going to learn in life is for this lifetime. It's not for the next life. Because your spirit is perfect already. The problem is that you're living in a body that is still very much in control. And you have a soul that's still very much in control. But when you and I come to learn every week is how it is that we're going to allow our spirit man, our own spirit that has been joined to the spirit of Christ to become larger and larger so that we can live fully on this earth. That when we get to heaven, we won't go, oh, I wish I knew that. Oh, I wish I could have enjoyed that. Oh, if I had known that, I would enjoy life so much better. Oh, if I have known that, I've done something much different. Now I'm telling you, so that when you get to heaven, and you cannot say, oh, I wish I knew. Because the angel of the Lord would say to you, well, Pastor Paul told you. You didn't believe him. You could have all the blessings in the world, and yet you're struggling like the rest of the world. It is for you to enjoy so Hebrews, the writer of Hebrew then says, let us come boldly then to this throne of grace. With all the mistakes you have, all the errors you have, come humble. Lord, I stand here by your grace. Not the rules I've kept. Not the religious thing I've observed. But by your grace. This week, when you leave this place, I want you to think about the vastness of the grace of God that touches not only you, but even to the heavens. And the blood of Jesus that is on you, not only on you, even to the heavens. Don't think just planet earth. Think beyond that. Because the grace that God has given us is so vast and so beyond even just the earth. Never mind about the fact that we haven't even completely comprehend and thoroughly understand how the grace of God works just on planet earth. There's a lot to go after. There's a lot of grace to go after. Would you please stand?